Hi, listeners. It's been a tragic few weeks here in the United States. Milwaukee, then Buffalo, and now Uvalde. It's all so hard to process. According to NPR, there have been 27 school shootings in the United States this year alone. There's just so much gun violence. Something has to be done. This is a divisive topic, and we don't have the answers. I am a speech-language pathologist, not a politician. But we acknowledge the pain and suffering that these senseless tragedies have caused. The SLP Talk Show is about supporting young children with disabilities and their families. There are plenty of political podcasts you can listen to about the current state of things. But we are going to stick to our specialty and do what we do. Our hearts are heavy, and we know that meaningful changes need to be made. Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Welcome to the 16th episode of SLP Talk Show. I'm Carrie, and I am here with my husband, business partner, and honorary speech-language pathologist, Jim. Hello, hello. Excellent. So we are back for another episode. Uh, I think it is appropriate to play Stump the Chump. What do you think? We didn't oh, do it? Yep, we didn't do it last time. No, I think I, think I just sort of uh, skipped right over that. So uh, I have this little game, and it is called I Should Have Known That, a trivia game about things you ought to know. And so the assumption is that you should get all the questions right, right. I think. And yeah. I, you, you have once. You've gotten them all right one time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting better at it, I think. Okay, here we go. Four questions. Let's okay. see how you do. What one thing does a koala's diet mainly consist of? Uh, eucalyptus leaves. Excellent. Eucalyptus leaves. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, that's good. Um, what? Oh, jeez. See, I just picked these cards off the top. <laughs> I don't read the questions. This is so easy. What do you call the charge to play a round of golf? Oh, uh, green fee. The green fee. Ding, 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 ding. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd miss this question. Okay. What does a camel store in its hump? Fat. Oh, see, I would have been the ding-dong who said water. So good thing uh, I asked the questions and you answer them. You are correct. And the last question. Let's see if you can go four for four. In what modern-day country is the historical region of Transylvania of Count Dracula found? What, what modern-day country? Um, man, I'm going to say... Um... Czechoslovakia. Oh, it is Romania. Oh, I was close. You were close. It was in, in the neighborhood. You were in the neighborhood. So three out of four, not bad. Good job. Batting Jim. 750. Yep, yep, you're batting 750. Yeah. I like it. That's pretty darn good. It's also uh, a solid C. It's a solid C, and yep. Cs get degrees. Yep. <laughs> all right, all right. So in the previous episode, we talked a little bit about the importance of understanding sensory, sensory processing. We talked about the eight sensory systems. And so I want to kind of continue that conversation today and talk about uh, dysregulation. It's a term that we use a lot in the therapy world. And so I thought it might be helpful, especially for any parents or grandparents or caregivers who are listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just, just one quick comment that I do want to make about 
children with sensory differences. Um, we have an autistic son, right. and Aaron certainly has always had sensory differences. And so um, it's really important to understand that autistic individuals have sensory differences, but not all people with sensory differences are autistic. Right. Meaning you can have sensory, because really when we talk about sensory, we're talking about your nervous system, right? We're talking about okay. the way your nervous system processes sensory input. So you can have sensory differences uh, and not be autistic, okay? Mm -hmm. But yeah. autistic individuals have sensory differences. So I right. just kind of like to make that clarification, sure. okay? Um, so let's talk about these really important terms. If we're going to talk about dysregulation, I always like to explain what regulation means because it's pretty hard to talk about dysregulation if you don't understand regulation. So regulation just refers to one's level of arousal. So when we talk about our level of arousal, it really has to do with how calm or how excited we are, okay? And, and your level of arousal can be manifested in two different ways. It can be um, really expressed outwardly, and that would be as feelings and emotions, right? So you're calm, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're scared, right? Those are, mm -hmm. that's one way that it's, it's manifested as, as feelings and emotions. But um, it can also be uh, expressed inwardly, and that's referring to your physiological state okay those are your your uh body level responses so now we're talking about things like your heart rate your breathing intensity your muscle tension okay okay so when we talk about level of regulation or level of arousal we have inward and outward signs of that okay so regulation is this kind of umbrella term and under regulation then we have self-regulation co-regulation and dysregulation okay Okay, so this is like our, our definition time, okay? Okay. So self-regulation refers to the person's ability to control the way they feel and the way they act. And we know that infants and toddlers and very young children, they don't really have the ability to self-regulate very well. Right, I mean, right. it's something that is developed over time, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to rock babies and we pat babies and yeah. we, you know, we have to help calm their nervous system because they can't necessarily do it on their own. Sure yet okay so that's self-regulation so with young children um and when you start talking about um you know behaviors challenging behaviors we start to talk also about the importance of co-regulation okay because co-regulation is this form of coordinated action between two people so when we talk about co-regulation in very young children or children who are in distress uh, we're really talking about when the child responds based on the adult's actions and reactions. So that's why we always say you want to remain calm because you want the child's nervous system to regulate to where you are. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child who is very distraught, who is in distress, who is upset, right? Um, if you become upset or become tense, right? It if just you, feeds into it. It feeds into it. So yeah. if you don't have good self-regulation in that moment and your child is trying to co-regulate off of you, if you escalate, they escalate even more. And if their escalation causes you to escalate, pretty soon you're both right. just discombobulated. Okay, so... So that makes me think about like, um, you know, when the kids were babies, you know, and we're getting ready for, you know, them to go to bed. And you, so like when you start rocking them, you're, you're doing in, in a sense, co-regulation, trying yeah. to get them into a, a state, a state mm -hmm. to where they're going to be 
you know, calmed down and right. ready to sleep. Yep, absolutely. So that's, and that's, that's why, what I think of that. And that's why one of the things that I, you know, when I when I talk to families and coach families, if um, going to sleep at night is, is a struggle, you uh-huh. know, with, for right. families, it's really important that we understand that um, uh, rocking a child, reading to a child, softly singing to a child, dimming the lights, mm-hmm. you know, making sure it's dark, um, you know, yeah. you want to create an environment that actually promotes sleep but if you give the child a pop tart right before bed you know some sugar give them a drink of pepsi right before bed have all the lights on playing loud music have the tv on give them your ipad you know give them their your smartphone in the bed and those are all things that are alerting to the nervous system so those things don't calm a nervous Mm -hmm. system so yeah you're absolutely right so like alerting things like when you're bringing a sleeping child in from the car Uh uh-huh you don't just turn on all the lights right, you, and right. you don't you don't turn the TV on immediately <laughs> right, or, and, right. and talk in a normal voice. Right. You're whispering, Whisper, yep. you're you're walking very gingerly. Sure. So you know, that's what so we try to do. Those are so yeah. Non alerting things. Exactly. To do, and that's so. you know, we can gosh, we can talk about sensory for multiple episodes because I love to give examples of these are calming types of input and these are alerting types of input. Sure. And that's one of the things when I consult with um, like early childhood centers, you know, when I go into classrooms, I help them really analyze because some of those early childhood classrooms I mean they're so visually overstimulating Mm -hmm. I walk in and there is stuff plastered on every wall there's crap hanging from the ceiling and I walk in and I'm overwhelmed so imagine if you had a truly dysregulated nervous system sure you know so yeah so the the important thing is that everybody has these things that affect them all the time Uh you know so Uh it's not just um, people with sensory, you right. know, differences. Yeah. Differences. Yeah. It's, it's everybody. Sure. We all have different levels. That's our sensory profile, right? You mm-hmm. and I, I, I think last week we talked a little bit about, or last episode, we talked a little bit about how your sensory profile is as unique as your fingerprint, right? right? So right. we're all yeah. wired differently. So, so co-regulation is really important when you are raising young children or when you're working with young children, if you're mm-hmm. a therapist like I am. Um, so it, when Aaron used to have, when he was two, three, four years old, he had lots and lots of what I would call significant sensory meltdowns. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do any good to try to console him per se. Once he was in meltdown mode, what he needed was quiet. So um, we had like a tent in his room. Do you right. remember when we used to have yep. that tent? Mm-hmm. And he would go in there and he had like a weighted lap pad. And, you know, he had all of his favorite like squishy pillows and things and and he would go in there and he had a flashlight in there that he liked he had that lizard too. he had that heavy weighted four pound lizard yeah Yeah. so all of those were things that when you reduce the auditory input reduce the visual input so a tent is often very helpful and he would go in there um and you know he liked the lights to be off um Mm -hmm. do you remember one time we got i think a new refrigerator and you put a refrigerator box up and we put christmas lights you poked holes in the top Mm -hmm. with a screwdriver and we put um, white Christmas lights or, you know, those white little, little dainty little lights. And so that when he got in the box, it was like the stars were shining mm-hmm. and he spent a lot of time with that because that was calming to his nervous system. So for Aaron and for a lot of kids with, um, who have sensory meltdowns, you can't try to talk them through it. You know, you can't be like, okay, buddy, you're fine. No, they're not fine. Right. They're dysregulated. And so it's really important that, um, we, um, give them what they need in that moment to calm down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's different than what we would do for, let's say, um, a neurotypical child. Sure. So we have self-regulation, we have co-regulation. Now let's talk about dysregulation. And dysregulation is what happens when 
co-regulation and self-regulation aren't working, right? When they're okay. not achieved, then a person responds um, due to uh, sensory overload, right? Mm-hmm. To Due to too much information trying to be processed. Um, uh, Jean Ayers, who is the occupational therapist who kind of coined the, the term sensory integration disorder many, many, many decades ago, I love how she... I love how she um, described described uh, sensory processing disorder as like a neurological traffic jam, and I think that's a really good analogy. It's where you have all this sensory input coming in through eight sensory systems, and if it's not getting processed and integrated effectively by your nervous system, it's like a traffic jam. So things mm-hmm. are getting bogged up, you know, um, uh, that the neural pathways are clogged, if you will, and so the child goes into kind of meltdown mode, which is shut down, right? So they're not able to really process anything, uh, and so dysregulation is is what I want to talk to you about because there's three ways um, that a that a person can be dysregulated. Okay, so we have eight sensory sensory systems and there's three different ways to be dysregulated so I hope you understand if you were to do the math you know because you can be um, dysregulated in different ways in different nerve in different sensory systems so there is such when we talk about your sensory profile it is like a mathematical event to try to figure out all the different ways you could be dysregulated okay okay so let's let's get into this so a ready state for learning is uh, you know, and and I'm showing Jim here. Listeners can't see me, but I always put my arm out straight in front of me and just kind of show like a a line. And so when I have my arm out it's, straight in front of me, it's parallel to the table. Yeah, parallel to the table. So I always show parents that this is a ready state. Okay, this okay. is when your your body is in homeostasis, which is where it likes to be. Right, okay. everything is right with the world, and this is when a child is ready to learn new skills, is ready to develop, is ready to take risks and try new things. Right. Mm-hmm. So when they're in that ready state. So one way that a child can be dysregulated is they can be over-responsive. So I've got my left arm out parallel to the table, and then I take my right hand and I place it above right this ready state to mm-hmm. show that the, the nervous system is actually over-responsive, okay? And so when a child is over-responsive, their nervous system is getting too much input too fast, okay? okay? So that's over-responsive. The second way, and I'm going to go into these in more detail, but the second way to be dysregulated, so now I would, uh, with my, my arm parallel to the table, I would take my right hand and place it under the sure. under the, the yep. ready state. So if you're passively under-responsive, okay, uh, what that means is uh, that it takes an extended amount of time before your nervous system can recognize any sensory input. So they're very slow to respond to mm-hmm. sensory input. The third way to be dysregulated, again, the, the right hand is under the, the arm that is parallel to the table, but now we're talking about being actively under-responsive. So when the nervous system is actively under-responsive, they are seeking sensory input constantly. They are craving that okay. sensory okay. input. Okay. So the three ways to be dysregulated, over-responsive, passively under-responsive, and actively under-responsive. Okay. So let's get into these. Let me give you some some characteristics of these uh, different ways of being dysregulated. And Jim, years ago, I would say probably five years ago, you helped me come up with this analogy. As a speech language pathologist, there are two phrases that I think are very challenging to explain to families. Uh, one is motor planning and the other is sensory processing. Okay, so I, when we talk about these terms, I think it's really helpful to use analogies 
that explain uh, what we're talking about. So for a neurotypical person who is in a ready state for learning, uh, their nervous system is good to go, it would be like taking a glass out of the kitchen cupboard and going to the sink and turning the sink on and filling it up with tap water. Okay, so when you do that, you're not going to turn the faucet on full blast so that it you know, makes a huge mess and splashes everywhere. And you're not going to turn it on so that it drips one drip at a time. You're going to turn the faucet on, you know, the right amount. You're going to fill your cup up. You're going to do it in a controlled and efficient manner. So that is when you're well regulated. Okay, so sensory over responsivity, okay, is the analogy would be like taking a shot glass and trying to fill it up with a fire hose. So basically, the nervous system is getting too much input too fast. Because if you think about it, if you're trying to fill a shot glass with a fire hose, how long is it going to take to fill your cup? Not very long. Well, it's going to overflow. Like, yeah. you'll never fill it up. There's no way to fill it up right. because it will be full. It's just going to go everywhere. Yeah, it's just going to splash over everywhere. So you're going to be overwhelmed. There's too much sensory input and it's coming at you too fast. So characteristics of um, a person who has an over-responsive nervous system, if they... If they speak, okay, their their verbal response might be, oh no, right? It's going to be one of distress, okay? You're going to hear it in their voice. But the nervous system over-responds, meaning there's a low threshold. Okay. They're responding too quickly. Their nervous system is responding too quickly. So these kids are sensory avoiders. Sometimes we use the term they're defensive, right? They're sensory defensive. So these are the kids who have their hands over their ears, mm -hmm. their arms over their eyes. They're always retreating, right? They're always trying to get away, back away, move away, um, shut the door. You know, they right. want to be alone. They don't want, you know, so they tell people to stop singing. Oh yeah. When Aaron, do you remember that? How old was he? I mean, About like it was three, one of his first phrases, two or three, three years old. Stop and if singing. we, yeah, in the car, we'd be <laughs> singing. Or if I tried to sing a song to him, like moms do, and he would literally say, stop singing. And he was distressed about yeah, it yeah he, he did not say that in a calm voice no ever. and so he loved to sing do you remember Lori berkner yeah uh cds that we had in the car buzz 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 yeah, buzz, yeah. Well, buzz buzz even before that he used to sing fly by night by rush <laughs> did he really yeah. i don't remember that oh, yeah when you'd go to softball is yeah. that when you would yeah. do it be in the car softball and and uh to go to softball practice for the girls yeah for the girls and and I'd pop in that CD that Mark made, yeah. one of my friends made, and and uh, <laughs> Fly By Night was on there, and he would belt that out, and it was <laughs> he was like two, you know, or three, you know, when he when he started, you know, getting more verbal, yeah. and, and I'm like, man, he's got a good voice. Yeah, so. it's so funny. But if we sing. Oh my, oh, yeah. he would get very upset, but he loves music to be played loud and he would sing loud, but he was not interested in us singing. So mm -hmm. that is being sensory defensive in the auditory sense, right? Okay. So, um, uh, the other characteristics of an over-responsive nervous system, uh, here's a, another great analogy though for parents, um, sensory information rushes in like a runaway freight train. So when you think about that analogy, like you can't stop it. If it's a runaway train, there's mm -hmm. nothing you're going to do to right. stop it. It's coming. And um, for a sensory over-responsive kid, there's nothing you can do once it happens. Like, I mean, you know what? We have to try to figure out what the triggers are mm -hmm. and try to put accommodations and modifications in place. So like 
noise reducing headphones. Do you see what I mean? Like that's something he's carried in his backpack sure. for years now because that because he's so our son is so over responsive in the auditory sense if when he would go to an assembly at school, right. you know, or in the gym, you know, if they had a pep rally or something, mm -hmm. uh, he would put those noise reducing headphones on. I mean, I do notice that he has his he's able to cope with it a lot, a lot better. better. Yep. Yep. So Ooh, can I give another example? And you know this was Aaron okay. for years and years. The happy birthday song. Yeah. Have any of you ever noticed that for children who are um, have sensory differences, singing the happy birthday song mm -hmm. is traumatic. And we yeah. could, we didn't sing to Aaron. We did it for his first birthday, and it was we have it all on video. It was traumatizing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he melted down. He melted down, and we basically just couldn't really finish the party. I mean, he yeah. was so distraught. So just know that the happy birthday song, it's startling. Um, everybody is screaming at you at the same time. They're all standing close to they're you. They're all staring at yeah, you. Yeah, they're all staring at you. You've got this cake in front of you with fire on it. I mean, <laughs> when you think about how different the right. whole birthday party scenario is, um, I'm just telling you that a lot of autistic kids and a lot of kids with sensory over-responsivity, right. uh, they don't respond well to the birthday party scene and they certainly don't respond well to the happy birthday song so for years and years i mean that was the last birthday party we really had um for aaron we would just do our immediate family and mm -hmm. as he got older uh part of um you know our birthday party tradition is he doesn't like cake but we would get him a chocolate chip cookie cake right mm -hmm. he always liked that so he, he was happy with that, uh, and we would ask him, can we sing happy birthday to you? And every year he would say, no, thank you. When he was, oh, I think it was like 11 or 12, we asked him, can we sing happy birthday to you? And he thought about it a minute, and he said, you can whisper it. So do you remember we all sat around the table, and we went, happy birthday to you. And then ever since then, we've been able to do it. But he, have you noticed, because I'm a very animated person, have you noticed how self-advocacy-wise, he's really starting to self-advocate right. how he tells me when he did something good at school. Like he brought right. home this big art project right, um, right. from his design class. And I said, oh my gosh, Aaron, I can't wait to see. It was his portfolio. I said, right. I can't wait to look at all your art projects. And he said, okay, mom, calm down, calm down. I don't like <laughs> it when you get too excited. So what he's basically saying is my, because my voice is higher pitched, you know, right. and, and so when I get excited, I talk fast, I say a lot of words, and I, I use a lot of of exclamations and that overwhelms him so yep. he's always he's always prefaces when he knows i'm going to be excited with it's okay mom stay calm you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. that's his way of self-advocating so do you remember but, a couple years ago we i think it was during the pandemic actually we he wanted to go to chili's oh yeah for his birthday I, oh that's right <laughs> and we and we and we whispered happy birthday to him at, at chili's at the chili's yep yep because and and i think it's because he went there with with uh, Ryan, but yeah. it, you know, he and, went there with one of his sister's friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's just so funny. funny. So he wanted to go to Chili's. That's where we went for yeah. his birthday. And yeah, we did. Uh, we had a whole table full of people and he tolerated it and he opened presents there and he was okay. But when it came to the happy birthday song, right. He was already pretty overwhelmed, so he's like, you can whisper it. So yeah. we, we went back to that. So part of it is, you know, really getting children to understand their nervous systems and to understand, you know, what they can tolerate and what they can't. And right. then we create modifications and accommodations and we teach um, our kids to self-advocate. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Okay, so back to characteristics of over-responsivity. So the nervous system, these kids, they're easily overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're overly cautious, they're very resistive to change, and they have difficulty with transitions. So they prefer things to stay status quo, right? Because there's safety in the familiar. 
I'm going to say that again, guys, because this is so important. Children who are over-responsive, they like things to stay the same. Eat the same foods, wear the same clothes, wear the same shoes, play with the toys in the same way because there's safety in the familiar. Mm -hmm. They like things to be predictable, okay? So what happens when things are not the same? What happens when there's too much sensory input? Well, they go into fight, flight, or freeze mode okay so that's where the meltdown stems from because they are there's too much sensory input coming in okay so the second way to be dysregulated is to be passively under responsive so the analogy here back to our water analogy would be like filling a, a big two quart pitcher you know like something you make lemonade in you know in the kitchen or whatever filling a big pitcher uh, up with water using an eyedropper mm-hmm. so how long is it going to take to fill your pitcher if you're using an eyedropper, really long it's going to take a really long time. So it's important to understand that after an hour or two, you're probably just going to stop trying, right? You're just going to kind of give up because you're never going to, you think to yourself, I'm never going to get this filled up. So the characteristics of a passively under-responsive nervous system, if they are, um, if they are speaking and they, you know, their verbal response might be, huh, or what? So you say something to them and their automatic first response is, huh? or what, um, their nervous system under-registers sensory input, meaning they have a very high threshold. So they don't respond to sensory input quickly enough. So these are the kids who have a very high pain tolerance, Mm -hmm. right? So these are kids who maybe you're like, oh, where'd you get that bruise? Or where'd that big scratch come from? They're like, oh, I don't know, right? They have no, they don't notice when they get hurt or when they get injured. Um, I've even had parents tell me when their child gets a shot, you know, like a vaccination or whatever, that they don't cry, which is very unusual to not, you know, cry uh, uh, in response to that. So these kids require more sensory input for longer periods of time with greater intensity before they perceive that information coming in through the senses so these kids are often described as inattentive withdrawn difficult to engage um they may be unaware of what's going on in the in the environment it takes a lot to get their engine running i hear ot's talk about you know Mm -hmm. the nervous system is kind of like your engine so it takes a lot to get their engine running Okay, so um, the the third way to be dysregulated then is to be actively under responsive. So these are your kids who are sensory seekers. Mm-hmm. They are craving intense amounts of input. So they can't ever seem to fill their cup up. So the analogy here would be like taking a paper cup and that has holes poked in the bottom and trying to fill it up with water. So how long is it going to take to fill your cup? It won't fill. It will never, under any circumstance, fill. Um, And so what's happening is these kids are often seeking out the wrong types of input. So Mm -hmm. they keep seeking, craving. What's amazing to me is that our sensory seekers often crave the input that dysregulates them the most. So let me give you an example here, okay? As a speech-language pathologist... Um, when I'm observing a child who is in constant motion, you know, the child who's bouncing off the walls, who's always moving, running, jumping, climbing, you know, just constant, constant motion. And I think to myself, okay, so what am I going to do, um, you know, to help this child get in a ready state? Can't work on speech and language, you know, if he's you know, bouncing off the walls, right? If he's in constant movement. And so what SLPs often do is we say, well, clearly we need to embed movement into our speech and language activities because look at him, he's moving. So clearly I need to, you know, incorporate that play-based movement. Movement. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. If movement was regulating, 
Um, this kid hasn't stopped moving since 4 a.m., right? So if movement was regulating, I'm pretty sure his nervous system would be regulated by now. Right. So the problem is he's seeking out that vestibular input, that constant movement, but it's actually dysregulating to his nervous system. Wow. So what's fascinating, and, and I always say what SLPs need to understand the most, and it's very helpful for parents to understand this as well, is that heavy work, proprioceptive input is kind of the go-to. We want to provide that nervous system with intense amounts of heavy work because that's very calming and very regulating to the nervous system. So if you have a child who's doing constant motion, we need to do any, you know, provide activities to the child in which they have to resist gravity. That's mm, what heavy work okay. is. Like hanging from monkey bars. It can be just, re, you know, your own body weight can provide proprioceptive input. It could be moving furniture. It could be lifting. Do you remember, Jim? I still have them. You remember when we used to have telephone books? I mean, uh-huh. that's, that's, yep. gosh, those, how long, it's been eons since we've, you know, gotten the yellow pages. Remember they were the big, here in Kansas City, the big telephone books? It's been a long time yeah, since we've had I'm, those. I'm not even sure they were that big when we got here. I think they were big when we were kids. Yeah, but... when we were kids in Iowa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they used to be, I mean, at least two, three inches thick. You yeah. know, I mean, they were mm-hmm. a big deal. So I have four or five of them, and I kept them because I learned from some seminar many, many years ago, you take duct tape, and they make colorful duct tape now, and I wrapped these telephone books up so they're kind of like bricks but mm-hmm. they're heavy okay and so we used to keep them at the bottom of the stairs when we lived in the other house and Aaron was little and if he started to get dysregulated I would instruct him to carry the telephone books we had four or five of them upstairs and he would carry them up one at a time so walking upstairs with weight was very regulating and sometimes mm-hmm. I'd have him take them back down the stairs then so having something heavy for kids to move so like in the school setting uh, after the child gets off the bus gets to the classroom if they seem pretty dysregulated have some heavy library books just sitting there and maybe that child's job every morning is to return those books to the library because carrying those books that's heavy work mm-hmm. right so um, there's lots of activities and, and strategies that we can you know talk about at some point to uh, a really support regulation But let's talk about the characteristics of the sensory craver, okay? Their verbal response uh, would be more, more, more. Can we do it again? More, more, more. I need more, 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 more. I am telling you, these kids are like the Energizer Bunny. Remember that? I don't Mm -hmm. even know if he's still on the commercials. Yeah, he's on there. Okay, so the nervous system under-registers sensory input and never seems to get enough. So what the child does is actively seeks more input. Okay, they're not passively like just laying there. It's hard to get their engine running. These kids are actively seeking input, constantly moving, running, jumping, screaming, screeching, licking, chewing, like whatever the input is that their nervous system needs. So these kids crave unusual amounts of sensory input. They are highly active, but here's the thing extremely disorganized. Mm -hmm. They lack safety awareness, take bold risks, scare the crap out of us adults, right? The things that they do. They know no fear. They are significant risk takers. Um, And you can find them in the most precarious positions. Um, I was in a house where there was a two-year-old who had found his way, great problem-solving skills, to climb. Um, So here's what he did. In the kitchen, he opened one of the, the bottom cupboards, stepped on the first shelf, opened the silverware drawer, stepped into the drawer, stepped up on the counter, opened the freezer, stepped into the freezer, and climbed up to sit on top of the refrigerator because that's where the Halloween candy was, you know, Mm. in the pumpkin. So this two-year-old 
figured all that out. So that's what I mean when I say these kids are risk takers. Like mm-hmm. they know no fear. Like they're going to get what what they want. And so yes, great problem solving skills. The other kiddo I can I remember very vividly is they had a staircase. You know, it was a two-story house and he would climb on the outside yeah. of the banister, which yeah. I know a lot of kids might do two or three steps. No, I'm telling you he would climb if you weren't watching him all the way, like all 15 stairs. He'd be up there like if he would fall, I mean, you know, just scare Yeah. The living daylights out of adults. Okay. Yep. So those are the three ways to be dysregulated. And I just want to end today by really helping you all understand that we all, our sensory profile determines our temperament and it determines how much of a risk taker we actually are. So when we watch the Olympics, if you have followed us for any amount of time, you know that Aaron, our son, is a huge fan of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knows, he talks about, he loves facts about the Olympics, you know, so he likes to tell you what year it was in what city and, you know, I mean, he... Anyway, so the Olympics is a big deal. So when we watch the Olympics, because here at our house, we watch a lot of NASCAR and a lot of Olympics, because <laughs> right. those are two of Aaron's deep interests. Um, but when the Olympics are on, don't you sometimes watch, Jim, and, and aren't you in awe of like people who jump off mountains? You know, a ski off mountains. Yeah. Not jump well, off the mountains. Skiers. The skiers. <laughs> I'm like, who's jumping off mountains? You know, the skiers. Sorry, in my oh, the, brain. Oh, I'm, the ski jump. Yeah, the ski jump. You know, yeah. they're skiing and then they whoo. Yeah. And, or even yeah. snowboarding. Or the, the ice skaters who spin, like, you know, in those revolutions. And you're like, how do they not get dizzy? But so it's important to understand that if you're a skier and you jump off mountains, you're a snowboarder. I'm pretty sure as a kid, you were climbing high places. You were taking bold risks during sure. play. Yeah. So. My point is, if you're pretty over-responsive in most of your sensory systems like I am, I'm not a big risk taker. I don't like roller coasters. I don't like to be in high places. I certainly don't enjoy things like skiing and jumping off mountains. So it's not, I'm not wired <laughs> to be um, a, a, an Olympic skier. Does that mean? <laughs> just picturing you jumping off a mountain. <laughs> See, it's I, so funny because in my brain, I'm skiing down a mountain. And when no, I say you, jump off ju- a mountain. You're like... <laughs> Jumping, ah, you know, just falling, free falling. No, I'm not free falling. But my point is, as an over-responsive, a person with an over-responsive nervous system, I'm not a risk taker for physical things. You know, that's just not something that I'm interested in. But if you're going to be an Olympic skier, uh, I'm pretty sure you have to have a nervous system that craves that type of input. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So your sensory profile is... It, it drives who you are and who you become. It drives what kind of profession you choose, you know, yeah. what kind of hobbies you have. All of that is determined by your eight sensory systems and um, the, 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 the different ways to be regulated or mm-hmm. dysregulated and, and regulated, you know, in those systems. So anyways... Was that helpful? I I learned a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. I just find the whole sensory uh, conversation and topic to be so fascinating because when you're talking about sensory, you're talking about the nervous system. And and I know I already said we were going to be dumb, but I have to say one more thing is um, I have presented my Making Sense of Sensory course from the SLP's perspective all over the country. And I have had people in different states tell me, oh, our school district doesn't believe in sensory or our principal or our administrators don't believe in sensory so we can't talk about sensory we can't address sensory and I am always perplexed by that because when someone says we don't believe in sensory then what you're saying is you don't believe in the nervous system like it doesn't make any sense because you 
you have every human being has a nervous system and Mm -hmm. the only way to get information from the outside world into your brain is through your nervous system and that happens through your eight sensory systems so do you see the how illogical it is when someone says oh that sensory stuff is hogwash or we don't believe in sensory that is about the most illogical thing argument anybody could make because you're basically saying you don't believe in the nervous system one whole system in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. I hope you gained some new nuggets of information that hopefully will help you either in your job or, yeah, you know, in your parenting journey. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. Let us know what you think. As you head back to the real world, remember to practice kindness and acceptance. And please, Please get your boobies checked every year. It could just save your life. It certainly saved mine. Until we meet again, cheers. Cheers.